Hey guys, welcome back to the Samsa Guide Podcast. It's your host, Ri, and this is not an official episode. Uh, you can probably tell that because of when it's coming out. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm sorry that whatever I end up putting here is not really the best video ever because, like I said, this is an unofficial podcast episode. It's just me sharing some of my thoughts. So I really just recorded audio and whatever you're watching is something I figured out after I recorded the audio. Um, I've been doing this series on feminism and religion and the idea for this series kind of came from a lot of conversations that I've been having with my fellow Christian women um, as, as well as conversations I've had with uh, my fellow Christian brethren and just kind of the discussion of the breakdown of families uh, across America, period. Um, and then some of the struggles and the, mm, I don't know, the frustrations, I guess, with living in our society today. And I had this grand idea of how this series would go, but as I started it, there's just like so much that I want to say, so many things that I want to talk about, so many things that I want to get into. And I did have the idea that this would make a better book than in podcast episodes or series or or something like that. But I am a firm believer that anything dealing with the word of God should be free to all who want to know about it. So if we're talking about feminism in context of Christianity, which because this is a Christian channel, because I am a Christian podcaster, there will be bias and it is going to be from a Christian point of view. It is going to be biblically centered and God-centered and God-focused. And so I felt like that should not be in a book that people have to pay for because all who are searching for truth should be able to access it regardless of whether they have the money to access it or not. And that is why I just typically try to post things on the blog or via the podcast or whatever. And that's kind of why I started the YouTube channel as well and the podcast to make things more accessible. But that's kind of going off on a tangent. <laughs> um, as I got in, I just realized that there's no way I could cover all of this in even the three episodes that I planned out. And I started milling over an idea. Guys, please give me feedback about this idea and whether it's something that you would enjoy. Um, I thought about doing a live series on Sunday mornings. Um, for those who are new and are unaware, I am a Sabbath keeper, Sabbath meaning the seventh day, which is why I'm not doing it on Saturday because I will be in Sabbath school somewhere and hopefully finding some fellow Sabbath keepers here in Texas. So that is why Saturday is out. But I would try to make it at least early enough that those of you who do go to church on Sunday could still listen in and provide your own feedback. And I thought that during this time, we might go through all of the verses in the Bible and different topics and different people as it pertains to women and what the Bible actually says about being a woman and what it means to be a Christian woman. So 
please tell me if you would be interested because I'm gonna be I'm gonna tell y'all right now I don't know that much about doing live streams so the first couple will be a little janky and bootleg because I don't actually know what I'm doing but if you would be interested in attending and participating let me know and you know we'll start pardon the rockiness that will that will be at the front and we'll get it together and it'll be great um and if you think that's a horrible idea let me know that too because I don't want to be on the live stream by myself just talking and being like dang nobody showed up to talk about the bible with me I guess I guess I'm just gonna talk to myself um so let me know and if so you know we'll start I'll work on you know planning that out and we'll set that up and of course I'll let you guys know ahead of time so that you can plan to be there before we kick off the series so I wanted to mention that and put that idea out there but I also wanted to talk about some of the stuff I didn't get into in the last video and that I I I think part of it was going to come out in the next video and the next and the in the third video but I had conversations with uh, some of my Christian friends last night. Last night was actually Friday night. I don't know when this is actually going to come out. But um, we were having a Bible study together to bring in the Sabbath. And, um, you know, we were talking about a woman's place and what we were supposed to be doing and things like that. And then I watched a video by a YouTuber that I follow um that usually I really like their videos but they said some things in this video that I can't say I agree with from a biblical standpoint um and I had some feelings about that and I I you know I am praying over it because you know to a certain extent there is bias like I talk about that a lot on here on this podcast being aware of your biases like is a good thing like you should be aware of where you're biased and you should be leaning on god to give you understanding because sometimes i mean as people not just with this topic of feminism but <laughs> or women's rights or what women can and can't do but in general a lot of times when we want to do things and god is telling us no we are very biased and we don't hear the answer that he's giving us because we don't want to hear the answer and so that's something to keep in mind but it also goes two ways. A lot of times when we are steeped in tradition, we don't like change. And this is one of the things that bothers me so much about this conversation. Um, and I was I, I don't know if I did the best job of bringing it out in the previous video when I was trying to go over the history of feminism but the ideas behind feminism have kind of changed and migrated over time and so there's you know this basic concept of women's rights and then there's also these other ideas and so um you know you when you hear about people who are very anti-feminist a lot of the ideas that they bring forth are ideas that are not biblical so um you have ideas where um, you know, I, I know people who are like, yeah, I, you know, I don't want a husband, but I want a child. And so they're like, I'm just going to go out and have a baby anyway. And I don't need a man to do it. Right. That's clearly not of God. Right. You get into, um, you know, this is going to be a controversial statement, but I'm going to say it. 
Um, I heard some people who were talking about how a woman should not have to have the permission of her husband um, to get her tubes tied or to get an abortion. And it's an interesting thing because I disagree, I disagree with them. I'm going to say that right out. I do. Um, I understand why people feel uh, a way, but first and foremost, when it comes to having a child, I understand like usually the woman is saddled with the responsibility of the baby. But the fact is the only way a baby can come into existence is a man and a woman. Even if you start doing some of these newfangled modern things where you're getting, you know, you, you, they have like sperm donors and stuff like this and you're not actually having sex to get pregnant, it doesn't matter. There has to be a sperm. A man had to provide this sperm for the baby to exist. But similarly, men cannot just go out and will a baby into existence. A man cannot give birth to a baby. He has to convince a woman to carry this baby for nine months. And that baby that exists inside the womb is both the man's and the woman's. It's both of their responsibilities and it belongs to both of them and both of them created it. I mean, God really gave it life, but it, it, I understand, right? Um, one of the situations that I'm aware of, the pastor at, one of the pastors at the church that I used to go to um, had this experience that she was, you know, her husband had cancer. I think he had cancer. And he was told that he would never have children. He, I mean, he's fine, but he was told he would never have children. And so um, they were in college. She wasn't a pastor at the time. <laughs> they were in college and, uh, you know, they were fooling around. They were not living according to don't have sex before marriage. And she ended up pregnant. Um, but, you know, obviously he thought he couldn't get anybody pregnant. So they thought it was fine. No one will ever know. But she ended up getting pregnant. And she told us the story about how she warred with the idea of getting an abortion to save face in the church. And if you are new to the podcast, please go listen to an episode I did a couple of seasons ago called Roe versus Wade versus the church, where I talk about a lot of the issues um surrounding abortion not abortion itself because i do think that life is precious i think that only god can give life so i it's a lot i don't want to get i don't want to get off tangent um with that i don't think it's i, I don't want to get into people's decisions about what they should and shouldn't do and i think that's the problem is that people are too focused on pro-life and pro-choice and not focusing on why people decide to get an abortion. So the episode that I did is on all of these issues that surround the fallen state of our world and why people even think that it's okay to get an abortion or why people even are in this state. And her situation touches on that and that she was like, she was ashamed and she didn't want to be, you know, she did things that she wasn't happy with, she was ashamed of, but she also didn't want to be excommunicated for that and you know she would have rather hit it and it was like a whole thing but he of course did not want her to do that because it was a he didn't know if it was a fluke or what he was like that could be the only child he could ever have and I do not think it would have been right for the 
you know, her to go abort the baby of her own will and never give him the right to have a child because he cannot do, he, like it could have been his only shot, right? And so in that sense, I do think it should be a mutual decision. And the same thing, if I was married to somebody, I would not go out and make decisions um, about myself without consulting my husband. There is a Bible verse. Um, uh, oh, I feel like I need to quote you guys the exact Bible verse. Okay, guys, I went to look up this verse because I want to be very specific about Bible verses in this because this is really the whole point of what's kind of irking me and what I want to talk about. So um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to go to verse 4. It says, the wife is not in charge of her own body, but her husband is. Likewise, the husband is not in charge of his own body, but the wife is. And this is a call back to Genesis chapter 2, where God marries Adam and Eve, or, or the first marriage exists. And it says that a man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and they become one flesh. So once you are married, both people belong to each other. I should not making I should not be making decisions by myself about my body. He should not be making decisions by himself about his body. His body belongs to me. My body belongs to him. Right? <laughs> this is that is what the Bible says. Okay. And so in that sense, this is where I'm saying like I disagree. I I, I mean I do not think that you know, a woman should be able to go out and be like, I'm going to get my tubes tied, whether my husband approves or not. Like, no, I think you should be having that conversation with your husband. And that should be between you and the husband. Um, and, the, you know, the same thing with anything else. And so I understand why you have people that are very much against the ideas of feminism, because things like that do exist in feminism. The same thing with the 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 uh you know this idea that men are evil or something like that and i alluded to some of this in the previous video um and in the previous podcast episode but i didn't get too deep into it i don't think um because i again like i said i was focusing more on trying to get to a definition for as we continue talking about gender roles and women uh, in religion and things like that. And so I really am not concerned with what this person or that person believes. But this is the thing. When you get into it, um, there, I do want to make it clear that there are a lot of things that are problematic within the feminist movement. And so I want to make that clear. And then I want to come back and talk about um, what is bothering me that prompted me to make this impromptu episode. <laughs> Um, so an example that the, the YouTuber I mentioned earlier gives talks about movies and he mentioned a couple of movies and I was surprised that he didn't mention one that I pointed out a while ago, but I didn't make too many waves about it because people love this movie. They love this movie to death. And, you know, I was like, let me not just get my head chewed off because I don't have, I don't have the temper 
to to handle that um and then the main character from that show died and it just seemed not the right time then either because i felt like people again would chew my head off but i'm gonna tell y'all right now that black panther is i don't like the movie black panther people thought i mean if you don't say anything people just assume because you're black you like black panther i did not like black panther <clears throat> and um, it's interesting because as a woman who is in the sciences, you would think that I would love the character of Shuri and I don't dislike it. I mean, I don't like, I don't dislike her character, but the movie itself is very anti-male. Um, and I meant, I have mentioned that to some of my male friends who many of them did not notice it until I pointed it out. Some looked at me like I was crazy and some were like, oh, wow. I didn't really pay any attention to it, but I'm going to point it out because I don't want you guys to be like, oh, what is she talking about? Oh, this girl, but it is. So you have uh, T'Challa who plays Black Panther, the titular character, Black Panther. If you guys have not seen this movie, this is a spoiler alert. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm going to spoil the whole movie. Um, so if you haven't watched it and you plan to watch it, maybe you should just like forward a while. I don't know how long it's going to take me to spoil it, but I'm just warning you. Anyway. Um, in the movie, T'Challa is portrayed as weak. I can't, I mean, I get it. It's supposed to be his character arc that he's trying to fulfill his father's shoes. But one of the first scenes we get of him is him not knowing how to talk to the girl that he loves or that he, the, the female love interest. He's shy. He doesn't know what to say. He's stumbling over himself like an oaf. And I guess maybe that's supposed to make him relatable, but... He is definitely not Prince Charming, okay? So he is king and he goes back to his uh, kingdom and in order to take the throne, he has to, you know, like he has to do this challenge thing. People are allowed to challenge him for the throne and if they do, he has to win this fight. And so Mbatu, who is from a tribe that doesn't really participate with these other people within Wakanda like he, he's in Wakanda but his people are separate from Black Panther's people he comes and he challenges him and Mbatu is the only character in this movie that I actually like okay so Mbatu challenges him and I'm gonna just disclaim right here for my black listeners we got black men fighting black men and that really didn't sit right with me but okay so Mbatu challenges T'Challa and almost beats his behind he basically almost loses, which again, I guess is supposed to be part of this idea of T'Challa, you know, trying to fulfill his father's shoes, right? And then T'Challa eventually finds out about what his father has done, which is basically assassinate his uncle and leave his first cousin, who is Killmonger, the anti the villain, I don't know what to call him, the anti-hero, the villain, whatever, the other person um, in the narrative, he was left as an orphan in the project somewhere here in the United States. And T'Challa knows this. And when Killmonger shows up, T'Challa could embrace him and be like, look, I just found out what my dad did. That was jacked up. I'm sorry, right? And he could have been reaching out to do something, but T'Challa stays in tradition and you know, it's like, no. And then he gets his butt whipped 
by Killmonger. Again, more black men fighting each other problems. But so then T'Challa ends up basically dead, right? Um, and you know, he gets saved. We're going to come back to how he gets saved, but he gets, he gets saved and revived and ends up in another fight with Killmonger that he almost loses again. It's still a close fight. At no point in the movie is he actually like super powerful. There's no point in the movie where it's like, yeah, he's believable as a king. He's actually a very strong character. He is not a strong character at any point. And when we get to the end, and he finally starts to reach out to the underprivileged black neighborhoods around the world, which is where all of us would be. Everybody out here talking about Wakanda forever. We wouldn't be Wakandans. We would still be wherever in whatever country we're in who got abandoned by Wakanda. But he finally goes out and starts doing these outreach programs. But that was his girlfriend's idea. It wasn't his idea. It was his girlfriend's idea. And that was also the idea of the man who got shot and killed, his uncle. So how did T'Challa get saved? All right, well, before we get to T'Challa getting saved, I want to go back to Killmonger. So Killmonger is blood hungry because he got left in the projects and the Wakandans killed his family. So he's just angry. So he's just out here killing people. He becomes a soldier. He kills a bunch of people. He's on a war path to kill T'Challa and to take vengeance and all of these other things. All right. Then you have T'Challa's best friend who turns on him because he don't get what he wants. So he's basically a backstabber, right? These, this is the vision of men, specifically black men that were being given in Black Panther. Meanwhile, all the women are, oh, the phrase that I want to use. I don't want to use that phrase, but they are, uh, all the phrases that I'm thinking are, are have curse words in them and I don't want to say these words, okay? But y'all know what phrases I'm thinking of, okay? They are very empowered women. We're going to put it like that. So you have Shuri, who is the computer tech person. She's creating all of the technology. There's a scene where he's he's on this car and she's controlling the car and everything. She's super smart. And again, it's not that I have a problem with her being smart. I'm going to get to the problem, but like, the women are overshadowing the men in this in this video. And this is all how all of this comes together will make sense hopefully by the time I get to the end of the episode. But she but Shuri is really the brains of the operation. Then T'Challa has a female guard. So his personal guard that protect him are all female. They're all soldiers and they're led by this woman. And she is a better fighter. Like she's out here kicking butt and taking names. Meanwhile, T'Challa almost gets his, he does get his butt kicked once. He almost gets his butt kicked another two times, but it's women who are fighting the battles and it's women who save him when he dies in the battle. And so a lot of this movie is the women being very strong and independent and very powerful women and the men are cowering behind them. There's another movie that's also targeted towards black people that has a similar feel. I don't remember the name of this movie and I don't care about it enough. Oh, Jingle Jangle. That's it. Jingle Jangle. I know y'all loved that one too. It is a Christmas movie, blah, but um, there is a scene here. You have this girl. She's so again, the men, you have the main character who 
is, I guess he's the main, I don't know, the main inventor, again, spoilers, main inventor who is, uh, he loses something. He loses his, his, his playbook or whatever and, or his designs, and he just completely loses himself. And I'm not saying that men can't lose themselves. I'm just, just there's a pattern here, okay? So he completely loses himself and he loses everything. And his daughter grows up and basically like kind of kicks him to the curb, but she goes on about her life. Meanwhile, his apprentice, who's also a man, is the one who steals the stuff. So he's basically inventing things that are stolen. And he's just like a horrible person. He's just a horrible person. He has no ethics. He has no values. He has no morals. He has no scruples. So it is the little girl who comes into her grandfather's life that is basically sparking joy and bringing him back to himself and um, reigniting his interest in building toys. And that in and of itself is not the problem, right? Because I do think that inspiration, I do think that women are supposed to inspire men and men are supposed to inspire women. I don't think it's a problem that this little girl is has these big ideas or anything, um, which is what I want to get to eventually. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, but the problem is they've introduced this, this boy who comes along for the adventure and he's a scaredy cat. Like there's a, literally a scene where something pops up and he's hiding behind the girl. And I'm not saying men have to be macho all the time. I'm not saying I'm in agreement with toxic masculinity. Um, because I do think there are things in our society about masculinity, I'm saying that in quotation marks, that are toxic. Um, but I do see a pattern where we're getting more and more media, where the women are very powerful, very idealistic, very uh, go-getter-ish, and the men are cowering behind them. And what I've noticed is that, of course, other people have noticed this, and when they start to push against this idea, they push not only against the idea of the subjugation of these men, but the, there's this idea that because the women are strong, the men are weak. And therefore, it's a problem with strong women. And this is where, I guess, things start to become the interesting conversation. This is where the conversation starts. If you go into the Bible, <laughs> the very first thing that happens when Adam and Eve fall is that Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Okay, they just start passing the blame. Adam doesn't say, well, I wasn't, you left me specific instructions and I chose not to listen to you. I chose to listen. I chose to do what Eve told me to do or I chose to follow behind Eve. He doesn't take any responsibility. He's just like, oh, the woman, the woman you gave me told me to do this. Like, I, like she is her fault, right? And this is along the same lines that happens in our society today. It's not the man's fault that he was lustful. It's not the man's fault that he, you know, was out here having sex with all these women. It's the woman's fault because she was beautiful. It's the woman's fault because she showed her ankle. It's her fault. It's not my fault. But then if you go into the Bible pause let me find this verse again because I want to be I want to make sure we stay in the word all right so first we're going to Romans chapter 5 verse 
17. For if because of the offense of one man, death ruled through that one man, how much more will those receiving the overflowing grace that is the gift of being considered righteousness rule in the life through one man, Yeshua the Messiah? So this verse is talking about how sin came into our world through one man. Now that one man is Adam. Now let's go into 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, For Adam who was formed first, then Eve, also, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who on being deceived began became involved in the transgression. So I want to put this in perspective to you, okay? Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. This is part of the issue when we're talking about sin. If you go back and you carefully read through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see explicitly where God tells Adam, do not eat from this tree. Okay, God specifically tells Adam, do not eat from this tree. Eve is created later. Now the timelines in, in Genesis 1 and 2, um, Genesis 1 is like a summary and we just get like, oh, he created this, he created that. And in Genesis 2, we see where he's like creating the garden and we, we learn that there's some time between when God creates Adam and when God creates Eve on that final day. They don't know exactly how much time. Was it an hour? Was it two hours? Was it 10 minutes? I don't really know. But there was enough time for Adam to see these animals and name some animals and notice that he didn't have a corresponding mate. And so then God creates Eve. But as we're rolling into chapter three, we don't see explicitly where God goes to Eve and says, Eve, don't eat from the tree, right? So more than likely, Adam's responsibility was to tell Eve. Adam was the firstborn, he was the oldest. At this point, it wasn't that Eve was submissive to God, uh, not to God, she was definitely submissive to God. It's not that Eve was submissive to Adam because she was a woman. That couldn't have been her, that wouldn't have been her punishment if she was already submissive to Adam or if she didn't already have a desire for her husband, right? These were part of the punishment in the fall. So at this point, but Adam still had some sort of leadership role because he knew better. And we know he knew better because it says he wasn't deceived, but he ate the fruit anyway. Now there is beauty in this because it parallels the story of Christ and the church. Remember, when you talk about symbolism in the Bible, a woman represents the church and the man represents Christ. This is this is how marriage is set up. The man is supposed to be Christ. The woman is supposed to be the church. Just like Christ is the head of the church, the man is supposed to be head of the marriage. The woman is supposed to be the church, right? So the story of Adam and Eve parallels this beautifully. Um, I've talked about this previously. I don't know why Adam chose to listen to Eve or to follow her. Uh, you know, men still do this. They will see a beautiful woman or they will fall in love with the woman and they will do things they know are wrong just to please the woman. But that's not what Adam was supposed to do. He knew, he knew it was wrong and he did it anyway. But in the aftermath, instead of, dare I say it, being a man and saying it was my fault, I followed the woman when I knew it was wrong. He blamed it on the woman. 
And this is this this is what's happening in our society today. This this cycle still continues that uh, women have kind of been cursed to bear the blame of things that may actually not necessarily be their fault. There were lots of things that could have happened in that garden, right? Adam could have called God immediately and been like, yo, God, this woman acts in a fool. Come down here and talk to her. Like you put her, you created her, you brought her here and she's trying to get me to do this and I don't want to do it. He could have been a tattletale. He could have done that. He could have let her eat it and watched her die. I'm not saying that's a great thing, but he could have done that. But he chose to eat it and bring our whole world into sin with with all of it. But a lot of times this is why it's substantiated that women are quote unquote lesser. I've said a lot and there's still so much more that I want to say, guys. Um, so anyway, this is kind of the basis of where a lot of particularly Christians get this idea that women are basically inferior, even though they're saying they don't mean inferior. This is where they get this idea. And this is where we start getting the conversation of wives submit to your husband. Now, this is in Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter five. Um, I'm not sure the exact verses. You guys can look that one up. I don't, I've, I mean, I could go there and read it, but we got, we know this. We know this verse by heart. Wives submit to your husbands. Now, right after that, it says, husbands love your wives. And it goes into the whole thing about Christ being the head of the man and, and, and all of this and uh, the men being the head of the wives. And a question here is, what does it mean to submit? What does it mean to be the head of the house? And one of the reasons why I started tackling the series the way I did is because people don't realize how much cultural influence has had on the church. There are so many things that people believe about leadership or a man's leadership that are not godly. They're not biblical they're societal. So when you see Christ, Yeshua, Jesus, Christ, the Messiah, he is our perfect example of all things. And he is the king of all kings. He is the king, right? So how does he show his leadership? Does he go around just barking orders? Does he belittle people? No, I mean, he, he does put people in his place. Like, that's no, that's no joke. He puts people in his place. He has a clear vision. He has a clear vision of what is to come and where they're going. And he builds up his disciples so that they can be successful, right? These are types of things he does. But we also see him washing their feet at the Last Supper, right? There is roles of submission involved in leading as well there are roles of servitude involved in leading as well a good leader is not someone a leader is not just someone who barks orders and i don't think i made this clear in the episode that i released previously when i talked about the guy who said when he goes home he wants to be the boss and i was like why does why does anyone have to be the boss like why do you why do you have to like she doesn't want to be bossed around either And some people may listen to that and think I'm talking about him not being the head of the house. That's not what I meant. I do think that the man is supposed to be the head of the house. That's what scripture tells us. I've already gone through that earlier, so I don't want to go back over that. But 
that doesn't mean you just bark orders and I just hang my head and am silent. And I, I feel like a lot of men think that's what it means. No, that's a dictatorship. That's, you know, that is a worldly view of leadership. A real leader is the man, the man comes up with the vision. He has the, the idea, this is what we're working towards. And he will say, he may say to me, Sheree, this is my plan for our family. This is how we're going to go. This is what our goal is. And I may, I may say back to him, oh, you know, I like this vision, but I, I was just thinking, you know, you mentioned this and I think this might actually work here, or it may be easier for us to achieve this vision if we do this. And then he has the right as the man to be like, yes or no, but a good leader inspires those below him one to be successful but also to contribute to the success that is how that is what a helper does right so being a helper or a helpmate to your spouse it doesn't mean that you're inferior or that you can't speak or you can't voice any concerns um or that you don't you're undeserving of anything um it just means that he should be the ultimate authority the same way i have a job i have a boss I could, my boss will tell me like, this is the product that we're working on. This is the project. This is what the deliverable is. But I may come to my boss and say, well, I can't do that. I've been trying and this is the impediment. My boss's job is to either remove the impediment to help me succeed or to realize maybe I'm right. Sometimes I've been right. It's like, oh, we can't actually do that. And then to reconfigure the vision based on the new information. This is some of the things that I think are missing in the conversation. Um, And as we go down that road, this whole idea of gender roles starts to go in. So the idea from the man being the head of the house, right, which I agree with, then comes in the idea of gender roles, that the woman's place is in the house, being a housewife, and the man's job is to be the provider and to go to work. And I don't have a problem with the traditional idea. If you want to be a housewife, I think that's great. If I met a man who made enough money that I didn't have to go to work, bruh, I would quit my job in a heartbeat. I, I mean, I would have so much more time to do other things. And I actually like to cook. I could explore a whole lot of recipes. So, you know, contrary to people's belief that just because you're success, you're a successful woman, you just want to work. Like some of us ain't wanting to work. We're just working because we got bills. <laughs> and so, you know, but this is where, you know, these quote unquote traditional values start to come in. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong. If that's how your marriage works, that's how your marriage works. And if that's what you want to pursue, then that's fine. But the question that I wanted to bring up in this series is this whole idea that for instance washing dishes and cooking and taking care of the house is a woman's job and going to work is a man's job and I I alluded to this when I started this series in who came up with these ideas and these gender roles are they actually biblical or is that society and then you know, traditions and then us using 
those traditions, us using the Bible to justify those traditions. Now we're going to go through some verses because like I said, I want to stay in the word because I'm, I'm not trying to be biased because I'm a woman and I'm trying to even hold myself accountable by staying in the word. So, so we're going to go to some verses and some examples of why I'm talking about that. So first I want to get out to this verse where Christ himself is reminding us not to let cultural traditions trump biblical values. All right, so because I believe in keeping verses in context, we're going to start in verse four. We're in Matthew chapter 15, and we're gonna start in verse four. For God said, honor your mother and father, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone says to his father or mother, I have promised to give God what I might have used to help you, then he is rid of his duty to honor his father or mother. Thus, by your tradition, you make null and void the word of God. You hypocrites. Okay, so this is Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 4, and I read through verse 6. So this is what I was talking about where, where Christ himself is talking about being careful not to let your traditions overshadow what God has said, okay? And in some ways, like in this way, they're directly contradicting, right? They're going from, uh, you know, you, you're supposed to be put to death because you are not, you know, helping your parents to, well, I helped God instead of my parents, so it's fine, right? So they're, they're skirting what God has said. Some of the things that I'm talking about are not, it's not so much that it's against something God has said, but it is your traditions are the foundation of your interpretation of scripture instead of the interpretation standing for itself. And in that way, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that these actions or the manifestations of these traditions are wrong it's that they are not biblical as in everybody has to do this or they're ungodly so the first one I want to go to is the concept of taking your husband's last name now it's interesting because I actually don't care one way or the other this podcast is one of the few places that I actually use my last name I don't actually think of my last name often because I have a very uncommon name and most of the time I just introduce myself by my first name. So it's not so much that I would ever miss my last name. And to be honest, if I ever find a husband, I probably will take his last name. I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. But I hear a lot of men complain about women who do not want to take their husband's last name. And I would like to state for the record that this is a European, specifically a English and Anglo-Saxon tradition that has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible. Um, If you are aware of Spanish culture, Latin culture, you will know people who have two last names. And what they do in their culture and have been doing uh, since the dawn of time, I guess, I don't know how long this has been a tradition, but it's it's been there for a long time, is that they take both their mother's paternal na- uh, name and their father's paternal name. So my name, my last name would be my mother's father's name plus 
my dad's name. And that's how they passed down the, the, the family names. But the wife's name would not change when she married her husband. Like her name would stay the same and the husband's name would stay the same. That is their tradition. That is a cultural thing. If you start going in the Bible, let me ask you, what was Eve's last name? What was Rebecca's last name? What was Esther's last name? Deborah, Ruth, Rahab, Mary, the other Mary, the other Mary, Mary Magdalene, right? <laughs> like none of these people had last names. Sarah, what was their last name? They didn't have last name. They didn't have surnames. They, and then they started saying, you know, of this place or of that place or of, you know, son of, or mother of, or maybe they would have said wife of, or something like that. The whole concept of last names is something that was made later. And it's part of this system to keep track of us and to keep track of who we are. And also part of the fact that we have more people and we're condensed in this city and you need to differentiate those of us with the same name. But from a biblical standpoint, there's nothing that says that you have to take a man's name. So like, if that's what you want to do, it's fine, do it, right? Like there's nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, it's not wrong for a woman not to take her husband's name. Now, I don't think it should be a point of contention, right? Again, you have this whole like this whole thing about a relationship, right? In the beginning, I talked about how the man belongs to the woman, the woman belongs to the man. You guys should be talking to it to each other about it. And so there should be a conversation. And if it just makes him that uncomfortable that you keep your name, then it shouldn't be a point where you're like, I'm gonna die. I don't know why you would die on that hill. That's not the hill that I would choose to die over, right? But from a man's point of view, like for the men listening, if there are any men listening, like that it doesn't mean that she's not godly because she just wants to keep her name. First of all, you gotta pay to change your name just so you know that. Um, and two, like it really, like she's still your wife, right? And it's interesting because in the beginning when it talks about man and woman and, and marriage, it says that the man leaves his mother and father to cleave to his wife. And no man is ever like, yeah, I'm gonna change my name and she's gonna change her name. We're gonna come up with a new name for our family. Right, like that's equally a valid way of, of of establishing that you belong together as a family, right? So that's one of the things I wanted to talk about because that's one of the things that comes up in this conversation a lot. But the other thing about gender roles is this concept, like I said, of women and housework and men not doing housework. And I think it's interesting because... <laughs> When we go into the Bible, we're going to get to Proverbs 31 eventually because there's a lot in Proverbs 31 that people seem to skip over. But I want to talk about what we see in the Bible because I was looking and I was looking for the verse that says women should cook and clean and men should go out and do the work. And that is how it is. These are the roles. Now, I do agree that... Uh, you know, when I look at how our society is is set up, there are some things that are very broken. And I do think it would be easier if one person went to work and one person was able to stay home and cook or keep the house clean because it is a job in and of itself, right? 
I, I see the benefit of that. And I'm not, like I said, I am not saying that that's not a valid way to run your household. And if you and your husband decide that that is the best thing for your house, then I think that that is what you should do. However, I also know that we live in a society where most of us cannot afford that lifestyle. And so we end up having to juggle these things. And in many of these cases, I meet guys who think that the woman should still be solely responsible for the housework. And I'm like, but you're not solely responsible for providing. So why is she solely responsible for the housework? If she is helping you provide, then you should be helping her with the housework. Now, people look at me like I'm crazy. That's not a woman's place, blah, blah, blah. But let's go to Genesis 24. Now in Genesis 24, we get the story of uh, Ab- Abraham sends his servant to go find a wife for his son, Isaac. And the servant goes and meets Rebecca. Now I want to point out that Rebecca is at the well getting water for the family. If you've ever had to pump well, pump a well or pull up the water from the well, this is not a lightweight task. Like you gotta have some arm strength to get up in that well, okay? So I don't wanna point out, Rebecca was strong, all right? She wasn't no, she wasn't no weak chick if she was p- pulling water up out of the well. But she does that and there are other, in, there are many instances where women are at the well getting water. There's a couple of instances. I do believe when um, Rachel meets Jacob, I do believe she is like watching over the sheep or, or the herd or something, which again seems like something a man would be doing. But I digress. Let's, let's, let's stick in Genesis chapter 24 where uh, Rebecca is meeting this servant. So she, she meets him, things, you know, transpire. And I want to start reading that, uh, after she has talked to this person. So this, I'm reading from verse 28, the girl ran off and told her mother's household what had happened. Rebecca had a brother named Laban. When he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, And when he heard his sister Rebecca's report of what the man had said to her, he ran out to the spring and found the man standing there by the camels. Come on in, he said, you whom Adonai has blessed. Why are you standing outside when I have made room in the house and prepared a place for the camels? I'm going to reread this. Why are you standing outside when I have made room in the house and prepared a place for the camels? So Rebecca is out here getting water and Rebecca invites this man to come to dinner. But Laban, her brother, made room in the house and prepared a place for the camels. Made a room in the house. Now, I want to point out some things. There are. There are a couple of things that the Bible does not tell us sometimes, all right? A lot of people who had money or who were well off, and we know Abraham was well off and his family that he sent to get this wife from was probably also of similar wealth stature. They had servants. 
So when Laban says that he made a room, I don't know if Laban himself actually prepared a place for this guest or if he just went in the house and told people, told servants what to do. But it seems like Laban was taking the role of host, right? Because we a lot of times we think it's the woman's place to prepare a room, to make the beds and to make sure that there is room for the guests. She's supposed to play the hostess, but it looks like Laban played the play, played the part of the host when the servant showed up. So that's one example I want to point out. Now I want to keep going. We're still going to be talking about uh, Rebecca a little bit, but we're going to move forward a little bit and get into uh, what we see with her children. So if we go into Genesis, we're still in Genesis, right? So if we get in here and we get to Genesis 25, okay? Now we're gonna go to verse 29. Actually, let's go to 27. Let's go to 27. Genesis 25, chapter 27. The boys grew and Esau became a skillful hunter, an outdoorsman, while Jacob was a quiet man who stayed in the tents. Isaac favored Esau because he had a taste for game. Rebecca favored Jacob. One day when Jacob had cooked some stew, let's back that up. One day when Jacob had cooked some stew, Esau came from the open country exhausted and said to Jacob, please let me gulp down some of that red stuff. I'm exhausted. All right. So if you're familiar with the story, this is when Esau sells his birthright to Jacob over some lentil stew, but Jacob cooked the lentil stew. So Jacob knew how to cook. Now we see Esau was a hunter. Again, this is what we expect from a, you know, as a, as a masculine thing, but Jacob knows how to cook. Cooking is not woman's work because Jacob knows how to cook and we keep going, right? And if we keep going later in the book, we get to chapter 27. And in chapter 27, this is when Isaac is old and he's dying and he's about to give out the blessings. And he calls for Esau, right? We're in the first chapter, I mean, the first verse of, tw of chapter 27. And he calls to Esau, um, his older son, and he says to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. Look, I am old now. I don't know when I will die. Therefore, please take your hunting gear, your quiver of arrows and your bow. Go out in the country and get me some game. Make it tasty the way I like it and bring it to me to eat. Then I will bless you as the firstborn before I die. So Isaac is telling his son to go kill the animal and to come cook it because he expects Isaac to cook the food for him. I mean, he expects Esau to cook the food for him. So we have a knowledge that both Esau and Jacob know how to cook. All right. Then, of course, Rebecca is eavesdropping on this. He she hears everything. So then she says to her son, Jacob, this is in this is in verse six. Listen, I heard your following your father telling Esau, your brother, bring me game and make it tasty so I can eat it. Then I will give you my blessing in the presence of Adonai before my death. 
Now pay attention to me, my son, and do what I tell you. Go to the flock and bring me back two choice kids. I will make it tasty for your father the way he likes it, and you will bring it to your father to eat. So Rebecca knows how to cook too, okay? Now, based on this, I'm betting Isaac probably knows how to cook as well. It's just Isaac is old and sickly and he's in bed and that's why he's asking someone else to cook for him. But both sons and the mother know how to cook. It is not only Rebecca that knows how to cook. I want to point this out. All right. This is my whole point. Like people have these ideas that it's a woman's job to cook, to clean, to do this. And there really isn't that much substantiation. We have proof that male and female knew how to cook. Now, again, it may work out in the best interest of your marriage, of your relationship, that the woman does most or all of the cooking. It may work out better for the man to do the cooking. As someone who grew up in a two-parent household whose parents have been married for 40 plus years and are still married, I can tell you that both of my parents know how to cook there are things that my dad cooks better than my mom and there are things that my mom cooks better than my dad. And so in certain cases, if we're having this, so I will say my dad cooks better pancakes, my mom cooks better grits, okay? So if we wake up and we want pancakes, my dad cooks. If we want grits, my mom cooks, right? That's how it was when I was a child. Um, in other cases, like for instance, for Thanksgiving, both of my parents cook. And you guys, it is like a really fun thing. Like, because as I grew up and as I became old enough to cook too, it became like a family thing. We all cook in the kitchen together. This is why I believe in massive kitchens. Um, you know, it started out, you know, once I was old enough to dice things without chopping up my fingers, I would dice things for my mom and dad. And, you know, my mom would be over here cooking her part of Thanksgiving dinner and my dad would be over here preparing like the turkey or something like that. And he would be cooking his part. And we we're just all in the kitchen together as one big happy family enjoying it. It's not that my dad is sitting on the couch watching a football game while my mom is slaving away in the kitchen to make this huge meal for our entire family. Like they did do it together. Okay. I want to, I, I, like, and from a normal standpoint, what would happen is, you know, there would be some sort of game plan about what we were going to eat and whoever got home from work first cooked. So if my dad got home first, he would cook. If my mom got home first, she would cook. Once I got in high school, I usually got home first, so I cooked, right? That's just generally how it worked. And so uh, before we jump into Proverbs 31, I know this episode is long and I've been going on, but hopefully, hopefully we're all getting something out of this. But um, I do want to share a story about the man being the head of the house and what I learned from my father. Um, when I was very young, I hated pickles. I still hate pickles. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure why I'm saying this. And I, I may have shared this story before. I, this is what happens when you do a podcast and you talk a lot like I do. You say things and you don't remember what you've shared and what you haven't shared. So if I've already shared this, I'm sorry for making this unnecessarily long and sharing it again. But maybe you haven't heard it yet. 
So when I was a kid, I hated pickles. I still hate pickles. I hated bread. I still hate bread. And I would always get hungry and I would want to go to McDonald's or whatever. Guys, please don't take your kids to McDonald's. It's death food. But I would, my parents would take me to McDonald's and we'd get there and my dad would, you know, he'd be like, what do you want? And I'd be like, I want a cheeseburger with no pickles and no bread. And he'd look at my mom and he'd be like, what do you want? And sometimes she would, you know, she would decline. She'd be like, oh no, I don't want anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm not hungry. Or, you know, she might be like, I'll just take a small fry, right? And so my dad would order what me and my mom asked for and we'd go and I'd always be confused because he would never tell them that I didn't want the pickles or that I didn't want the bread. He'd just order a regular cheeseburger meal and he'd give my mom the fries that she asked for. He'd give me the cheeseburger and, you know, he'd, we'd take off the bread, we'd take off the pickles and I'd just take the meat and the cheese. And then my dad would take the bread and the pickles and whatever leftover ketchup and mustard was on the bread and he'd eat it as a sandwich. And I thought it was the most disgusting thing I ever seen. Like, ugh, two things I hate, bread and pickles together. Like that was just so disgusting. So one day when I was in college, I was in the cafeteria, they were serving uh, hamburgers and I got a, I got a burger put some cheese on it and because they serve it to you you know again I ended up with bread there was no pickles but I got to the the seat with my friends and I was sitting there and I started out eating the burger like a normal person like I bit into the bread and the meat and it just wasn't right because I still don't like bread so eventually I took the bread off and just started eating the patty and all my friends made mention of how weird it was and when they did, it made me think back to my dad eating these bread and pickle sandwiches. So I called him and I was like, dad, how did you eat? Like, why? Why do you like that? Do you still eat those? And my dad told me that he hates pickles. My dad, the reason I hate pickles is because my dad hates pickles. My dad also hates pickles. And I was like, but why were you eating bread and pickle sandwiches then like you ate them every time we went out why did you eat that and my dad said well I couldn't afford to buy you a meal and your mama a meal and me a meal so I made sure you had food and I made sure your mother had food and I ate whatever was left now I see people going back and forth on Facebook about who gets fed first and a wife fixing her husband a plate. But y'all don't know how that touched me as an adult to hear that my dad was eating our leftovers to make sure that we had. And I was like, dang, that's a whole different definition of a leader. That is not a worldly definition of a leader. And I think That is what God said when he means that the man is the head of the house. Y'all don't understand. I would do anything for my dad and my mom. My mom was a great mom, but we're, I mean, we're, I'm, I'm talking about men as the head of the house. Like I would do anything for my dad. And what I think happens is when you see, when it says wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wife. When men have that kind of love and that kind of selflessness towards their wife, I cannot imagine having a husband doing that for me and my child that I wouldn't just give him whatever he wanted. 
And I realized the reason my mom would say she wasn't hungry was not because she wasn't hungry, but because she knew my dad couldn't afford food for all of us. So instead of being like, my husband can't buy food, I'm going to go out and get my own money to buy my food, right? Like she is like, well, you know, he's trying, he is trying, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to say I'm not hungry and I'll just wait and I'll eat when we get home. Again, there is definitely things that we as women are supposed to be doing to lift up our spouse and to submit to our spouse. But a lot of these ideas that are passing around in our in our circles and in our communities about what it means to be the head of the house are worldly ideas. And we got to shake that. We got to stay in the word. So I want to go back to us. And actually, one more thing before I go back to us as women. Um, <laughs> I see a lot of people talking about women not being women, women not being feminine, women not women trying to take a man's place. And I don't see a whole lot of, of conversations by men about men being men. Because I would like to say that just because you were born male does not make you a godly man. Just because you were born male and you show up at a church once in a while or you picked up a Bible once or twice, that does not make you a man of God per se. And it does not mean that you are acting in accordance to God. Now, I'm not going to go too far into that because I am a woman and I do respect that that's a man's place. So I'm calling out all these men that have the time to tell us as women what we doing wrong. I would love to see y'all come out and tell yourselves what y'all doing wrong so that we can fix it and go forward. But we're not going to go that far. I'm going to go back to us as women. All right. So we're going to Proverbs 31, the end all be all everyone wants to be the Proverbs 31 woman. I have a post on this already, but we're going to go back through it. I know it's long, but bear with me. This will be the end of, this is by no means the end of what the Bible says on women. Like I said, come back and tell me your thoughts on having a, a series where we actually go through it a lot more meticulously and verse by verse. I'm kind of trying to speed through this, but we cannot have this conversation without talking about Proverbs 31. So Proverbs 31 starting with the part that actually talks about the Proverbs 31 woman. And it starts in verse 10 of Proverbs 31. And I'm going to read the whole thing. And I may go back and emphasize some things as I'm reading. Or I may start asides in the middle. I really don't know how my brain works. Just bear with me. Who can find a capable wife? Her value is far beyond that of pearls. Her husband trusts her from his heart and she will prove a great asset to him. She works to bring him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She procures a supply of wool and flax. How did she procure a supply of wool and flax? That's a good question. How did she procure that? Mm. And works with willing hands. What? and works with willing hands. So she works with her hands. She is like those merchant vessels bringing her food from far away. So she's bringing food from far away. Hmm, I wonder how she's doing that. It is still dark when she rises to give food to her household and orders the young women serving her and orders the young women serving her. So she has servants, guys. She has servants to help her with all this stuff she's doing. That's good power to her. 
She considers a field, then buys it. Wait, what did she do? She considered a field and then she bought it. She, she bought a field, guys. What? Okay, so she bought a field. And from her earnings, she got earnings, y'all. She got earnings. She plants a vineyard. She gathers her strength around her and throws herself into her work. Ooh, what is this work that she's doing? She gathered her strength around her and threw herself into the work. She sees that her business affairs go well. Her lamp stays lit at night. She puts her hands to the staff with the flax. Her fingers hold the spinning rod. She reaches out to embrace the poor and opens her arms to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, since all of them are doubly clothed. She makes her own quilts. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the city gates when he sits with the leaders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. Hmm, so she's selling some stuff. That's probably how she's making her earnings. That might be also the work that she's doing. Um, and she supplies the merchants with sashes. Clothed with strength and dignity, she can laugh at the days to come. When she opens her mouth, so she does open her mouth. She's not always silent. She opens her mouth sometimes and she speaks wisely. On her tongue is loving instruction. That's important. Being loving is important. She watches how things go in her house, not eating the bread of idleness. Her children arise and they make her happy. Her husband too, as he praises her. Many women have done wonderful things, but you surpass them all. Charm can lie, beauty can vanish, but a woman who fears Adonai should be praised. Give her a share in what she produces. Let her work speak her praises at the city gates. Y'all, I love Proverbs 31. I love it because <laughs> it says a lot. Now, I do, I am going to point out some uh, symbolism in here in a minute, but um, in here we see that she does have a job. She does work and she does make enough money that she can buy a whole field. Um, and she also has servants that are helping her. She's not doing all of this alone. And in here, while it does say that she is sewing things, it doesn't necessarily say that's the only thing she does. Um, clearly, she is getting earnings and she is doing all of these things, but she's also supporting her household. And I think that's an important thing. I don't think that God made woman to be diminished. And what I mean by that is I may be a successful computer scientist. I may be intelligent. I may be able to use power tools, right? But that doesn't mean that my husband won't be better at that than me. And it doesn't mean that there won't be moments where he's doing things that technically I can do, but I just prefer for him to do it, like killing a spider or actually doing the the, the drilling because sometimes I'd be concerned about how stable things are that I put together because um, like I said I'm not that strong but I don't think that God created me with the intention that I would shrink myself for a man who is not that man and this is where we get into this concept of being equally yoked 
I don't. Um, I do want to point out something about Proverbs 31 that I noticed after I did the episode that's up on my channel currently. Um, I mentioned in the beginning that the woman always represents the church. And it's very interesting because if you go back and read Proverbs 31 and you think of it as the church instead of an individual woman, it actually reads quite the same way. It's actually very interesting um, because, of course, at this point, the husband is Christ and um, these are things that the church should be doing, right? The church should be serving and the church should be cultivating things. Um, we should not be fearful, right? We should be about our business. We should be throwing ourselves into the work of God. We should be feeding the poor and, and helping the needy. So I thought it was interesting. Um, just a pro tip if you ever want to question what the church should be doing definitely look at proverbs 31 from that point of view as well but i digress i this may replace that third episode because um, i think i went over <laughs> a lot of the things that i wanted to go over in the third episode but i just had to put a lot of this out here up front and and forward because it's um it's frustrating because there is a problem but I feel like we spend a lot of times pointing fingers and saying that this person is the problem or that person is the problem. And it's very easy to point at feminism and say that feminism, specifically um, new age or radical feminism that is anti-male um, is the issue. But again, you start to see men who are like, well, women have careers and that's the problem. They no longer care about the family because they're worried about their careers. And I'm not negating the fact that some women may be career obsessed. Um, but at the same time, I, I question how many men were career obsessed. There are a lot of men who are career obsessed as well. And it doesn't say that it's solely the woman's job to uh, to, to be the to be the family, right? If you if I was let's say I was a housewife, let's say I've met the the man that God has sent me and I am I am a housewife and I am there to take care of the kids and to make my husband happy. But he's a workaholic and he's never there. He's always at work. When we're trying to have family time, he's at work. Well, there's a reason God gave us a mother and a father. There's time you spend with your father. There are things you learn from your father. There are things you learn from your mother. But that requires the father to be there sometimes. And we don't hear nearly as much about this idea that men are spending too much time working. That was considered acceptable. My point is that I don't think that blaming women for being able to be a doctor or being able to be an engineer which was traditionally only for men. I don't think that is the problem. I think the problem is one, our society expects too much, right? <laughs> that is a whole nother topic. Please, I'm begging myself not to go off on a tangent on that. But the way our society is situated, the way it's set up and structured is just not right. And that's why we need two incomes and you have to work like a slave to pay these things. That's the problem. But it does. But people are quicker to point out and be like, well, women shouldn't be able to work. And I don't think that's really 
the thing. I don't think the Bible actually says that women can't work or that there are jobs that are inherently made for women and inherently made for men. I just think that it says that men are supposed to be the leaders of the house, that they are supposed to be the spiritual heads of the house and the head of the house, and that we should be digging into what that means. But there are plenty of passages where, yes, women are supposed to be supporting their husbands. They're supposed to be uplifting their husbands. Again, in Proverbs 31, it talks about speaking in a loving tone and not, uh, you know, being abrasive and aggressive and things like that. Um, But it also shows that she was also working. She's also doing things and she's also working with her hands and she is able to buy property apparently, right? Um, And so there are still things that we are able to do. And I, I, I just, I don't want people to lose sight of that, um, of what the Bible actually says. And I, I, I think trying to sort through this mess uh, is going to take a lot of time, a lot of Bible study, a lot of prayer, a lot of submission to God from both genders. Um, and, and to be honest, giving up of some freedoms from both genders as well getting rid of ideas that are tradition-based and not Christ-based. So let me go ahead and shut up because I've been talking for a long time and y'all, some of y'all done tuned out. But for those of y'all who made it this far, thank you for sticking with me. Um, And I hope that, you know, this has said something. (laughs) Uh, Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Share with me your ideas about, like I said, going through all of the verses because I only touched on a few. There are definitely more. So um, I will talk to you guys again. Hopefully I still actually do the right episode for this week. Bye guys.